So here we are, and we come now to the, the practical application in, in regard to the whole issue of spiritual warfare. We come today to uh, the topic of the armor of God. So we've been looking at uh, the principalities and powers. We've been, uh, we considered initially, uh, of course, um, just the, generally speaking, the, the topic of spiritual warfare. And we've looked uh, more specifically at the devil and, and his tactics, his wiles and those kinds of things. But, but now we move into the portion where uh, we're exhorted to put on the armor of God. So we want to talk about the armor of God. We want to talk about what it is and what it means to put it on. And uh, we're going to do this in two parts. So today we're going to do uh, the first five pieces of the armor that are mentioned. And they're, they're predominantly uh, defensive in the sense that, uh, you know, the, these are things that we need to apply to ourselves that are going to defend us from the enemy and, and keep us from losing ground. But then uh, as we move forward into the next teaching, uh, next week, we'll come to the more um, uh, offensive aspect of the weaponry. And that, that, of course, would be the sword of the spirit. So let's um, just real quickly again, read over a couple of verses here. Verse 14, stand therefore having or, or verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Stand therefore having girded your waist with the truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation. So those are the five that we'll consider together today. Now, when we talk about the, the armor of God, Paul uses this picture. He paints for us a mental picture. And uh, each of these things, the, the belt of truth, the, the breastplate of righteousness, uh, of course, they're um, symbols of spiritual things. And so there, there's a spiritual truth behind the symbol. And as we look at each one of these things, as you look at the, everything that's mentioned here, what you discover is that the armor of God is really uh, the application of the eternal truths of Scripture. That's, that's really what the armor of God is. It's the application of the eternal truths of Scripture. And so to put on the armor is to apply those truths to our lives. That's what it means. We're taking the eternal truths of scripture and we're applying them to our lives in these various areas. And, and so that's how we, we put on the armor of God. So everything that we're gonna talk about both today and next week really revolves around the word of God. And beginning with what Paul speaks of here as having girded your waist with truth, or of course he's talking about a belt, uh, the belt of truth. Now, in, in the situation with the Roman soldier, the belt was the, the foundational piece of the armor in the sense that all of the other pieces of the armor attached to the belt. And so you, 
you had to have this. This was uh, essential to the equipment that you were given. And so Paul says, gird your waist, just like the Roman soldier had to have this, this belt on, Paul says, you gird your waist with the truth. Our lives are to be undergirded by the truth of God's word. And as I look at this here, I think a good way to understand what Paul is referring to here would be that in the bigger picture of life or what we commonly refer to today as a worldview, our worldview is firmly fixed in scripture. So we see the world through the lens of scripture. Everybody has a lens through which they view life. Everybody has a, a certain philosophy about life. They have certain presuppositions that uh, lend to that particular worldview. As, as a believer in Christ, our worldview is to be a biblical worldview. And that's what Paul is calling for here. That our lives be so uh, saturated in the truth that everything we look at, everything that we contemplate, it, it all goes through the filter of God's word. So we're just, we're, we're mentally living in that context. I just, I see things through the lens of God's word. And that, that's what he's talking about here. I think primarily he's talking about immersing ourselves in, uh, saturating ourselves with the truth of God. And on a practical level, although we'll talk about this more in the next study, on a practical level, I think this is where we just, we need to get the, the big picture of scripture, the, the major themes of scripture, where we understand, like, for example, um, the uh, origins, our origins. So uh, people, a lot of the ways people view life has to do with how they view origins. Uh, what, how did we originate? Where, where did we come from? If you have a biblical view that you came from God, that you're created in the image of God, that you're therefore accountable to God, then you're gonna behave radically differently than the person who says, no, no, there is no God, there is no creation, I just came about through natural processes. That's going to translate into a completely different way of living. So this is where we get the, the big picture of um, God's truth, that, that we are created beings, that we are subject to God, uh, the nature of God, that the God who created us is a God of love. He's also a God of um, righteousness. And so he calls us to live according to a certain standard. Uh, he's a God of mercy. He's a God of redemption. He's a God of power. All, all of those kinds of things. And those are the big themes that we get when we study the Bible in, the, in just a larger sense. You know, the Genesis to Revelation type of a perspective. And so it's important that we immerse ourselves in God's truth uh, from cover to cover. And that's the idea when Paul speaks of putting on the belt of truth. You see, as Christians, we need to realize 
that the enemy cannot be withstood by human reason, tradition, personal charisma, or any other natural kind of uh, means. The, the enemy is only going to be pushed back or subdued through the truth of God's word. So we've got to be immersed in God's word. We've got to be living in it. We've got to be walking in it and uh, applying it to our lives and the, the things that we daily encounter. So that's, that's the first, uh, I think, understanding of what he's talking about here, girding your waist with the truth. But then I think there's also another part to it, and that would be truthfulness or integrity. Of course, if you're a person who's really interested in truth, then it would seem to follow from that that you would be concerned to be truthful, to be a person who has a high priority of truth, but yet doesn't themselves live according to the truth or speak the truth. That would be rather inconsistent. So we're going to be truthful. We're going to be people of integrity. We're going to be people uh, who can be trusted. And again, living according to the truth, applying the truth, uh, being people who have a high priority on truth and integrity, uh, these are the kinds of things that, that beat back, in, in a sense, uh, the devil's advances. And so, the belt of truth. And then secondly, Paul here speaks of the breastplate of righteousness. Now, the breastplate, as you can understand, as you think about it, covers uh, the vital organs, would cover the, the area of the, the chest and the abdomen. Uh, of course, we have our heart, our lungs, our liver, our pancreas, all, all of those things are, are right in that region. And in, in the biblical world, and it, so with us today as well, we often, they did, and we often do as well, we understand this area to be sort of the seat of our emotions, right? We, we say things like, uh, you know, I, I, love, I love that with all my heart. So we're, we're expressing, um, you know, some emotional kind of a thing that, that we're seeing as originating in our heart. Uh, the term compassion... Uh, the idea behind it in the ancient world was uh, the, the old translation, the King James Version, oftentimes translates uh, compassion as bowels of mercy. Now, when you think of bowels, you normally don't think of mercy simultaneously, right? But they, they, they translated it that way because of the way you feel you, compassion is something that you feel, right? You, you see somebody and there's something internal. There's a, there's a feeling, there's an emotion that transpires there. It says concerning Jesus that he looked at the, the people, he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. It, and it says there he was doubled over with compassion. So the idea there is that, you know, these bowels of mercy. So anyway, since that's the, the area where that was, uh, considered to originate from, the breastplate then protects us in the realm of our emotions, in the realm of our feelings. 
and it's the breastplate of righteousness. Now, when we talk about righteousness in the Bible, we're talking about right living, but we're also talking about what's called the imputed righteousness. And that's what we have as a gift from God, from Christ, that that puts us in the position of being righteous. So when we think of putting on the breastplate of righteousness, we need to think of, of walking in that imputed righteousness of Christ. I realize that my righteousness does not come from me, but it comes from the Lord. It's his gift to me through faith. But because I've experienced that gift of his righteousness, that will translate into right living. If, there, if there's never a translation from uh, imputed righteousness to practical righteousness, then you have to wonder, is there really imputed righteousness? If there's imputed righteousness, there is ultimately going to be practical righteousness as well. And so as we, at times, the, Satan will attack us, as we've already looked at in quite a bit of detail, he'll attack us in our emotions. There are times when, uh, from the standpoint of feelings, we don't feel saved. We don't feel righteous. So it's at those times I need to remember, no, I've got a breastplate of righteousness. I have a righteousness that, that is there regardless of how I feel. And then, of course, on the practical level, there are times when we don't feel like doing what is right. And it's there again that we put on the breastplate of righteousness and we let that imputed righteousness, um, we let it translate into the, uh, the practical righteousness, the holy living. And so the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. And then he says, in having uh, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Another translation reads, for shoes put on a readiness to preach the gospel of peace. Now, with, again, the Roman soldier, each one of these things that Paul mentions here, those who read this letter originally, the Ephesians, the picture would have been crystal clear in their minds. Everybody knew how a Roman soldier uh, was attired in those days. And they had a specific kind of a boot that was uh, like an open-toed sandal type of a thing, but it it was more like a boot and it had a studded sole, and the, the purpose in the studded sole was to give the, the person a firm grounding. So the soldier couldn't easily uh, be pushed back. There, there was no slippage that was going to take place. You know, if you've ever tried to, to, to do something and your feet have slipped out from under you, uh, you know that that's, that's a huge problem. And especially if you're in some kind of a conflict, you want to be able to to stand firmly without being moved in that kind of a way. So that's what the 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 boots or the shoes would have done for the soldier. So for us, we the idea, I think, is that we're, we're grounded in the gospel and we're going forth uh, with that gospel. We're not being. Uh, push back or move, but we're, we're actually advancing. We're, we're gaining ground. There's, there's no slippage, so to speak, that's taking place. You know, if you think about it, 
If every one of us got up every day and uh, put on the boots of the gospel, if, if every one of us every day just had that mindset that I'm going out into the battlefield, I'm going out as a soldier, I, I'm going out on a rescue mission, I'm going out to see people brought out of darkness into light. I'm going out to, to be used by God to see people uh, delivered from the power of Satan and brought under the authority and the power of God. Uh, that's, a, that's a powerful thing to understand as you go forth in your daily life. Are we thinking like that? Do we think like that? We, we need to think like that. Because that's what God's, part of what God's called us to do in this world. He's called us to, to reach people with the gospel. And I think just on a practical level, if we, if we go forth with a readiness in our minds to minister the gospel to people, um, I think that will naturally have a, a protective aspect to it for us. Because I'm going to be making sure that I'm not engaging in things that are going to, to hinder that from happening or, or hinder me from being able to really do what I need to do when the opportunity arises. I'm not going to be doing things that are going to cause my feet to slip, so to speak, when that, when that opportunity is right there before me. No, my feet are firmly fixed in the gospel. So it's a readiness that Paul's speaking of uh, a preparedness to go forth with the gospel. And then fourthly, he says, and taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Now we talked extensively about the fiery darts of the wicked one. And the reality is we will never be out of range of Satan's fiery darts, but by taking up the shield of faith, we can quench those fiery darts. Faith is a huge component in our Christian lives and in our uh, progress as believers and in our advancement in serving God. We have to have faith. So, that, so to take up the shield of faith is really an act of trust in the word of God, in, in the promises of God. God gives us his word. He gives us uh, promises. He speaks uh, to our lives. He, he gives us direction. You know that. Now, the important thing is to believe it. And to keep believing it. What the devil wants to do is he wants to rob us of those things. He wants to get us to stop believing, stop trusting, stop having faith in God's word, in uh, the promises that God has given through his word. So we've got to take that shield of faith. And when the enemy comes in with suggestions that, you know, this isn't true or, or God is not faithful or those promises really don't apply to you. It's by faith that you say, no, uh, I believe what God has said. 
I believe what God has told me. You know, I have a Bible at home. I don't use it anymore, but I still have it. And I have, uh, I have promises highlighted uh, from over 25 years ago. And, you know, God would speak something to me and I would, I would write it down. And these are just a, a handful of promises, but they were so, uh, they were so certain when God spoke them to me. They, they affected me so profoundly at the moment that I, I marked it down. I underlined it. I highlighted it. I put the date next to it and then awaited the fulfillment of it. But you know, in some cases, the fulfillment was not for 10, 15, 20, 25 years. And guess what happens during that time? The enemy comes along and says, oh, those promises, you just imagined that. God never told you any of that stuff. That's never gonna happen. What are you doing trusting in that? Or, Or why are you still believing that? Look how things are. That, that was just you, wishful hoping. And th- those kinds of things come along. Now, another part of it that's a reality is when God gives those kinds of promises at the moment, he gives them in such a way that there's practically no uh, doubt whatsoever that, that this is God speaking he comes in, in in a powerful way and he, he just shows you that this is true and this is what I'm going to do. And, and it's so powerful, you, you don't even doubt for a moment that it was the Lord. But what happens is as time goes on and those things aren't immediately fulfilled, uh, those same emotions and feelings dissipate. And then you find yourself looking at the same passage and looking at what you'd marked in your Bible next to it. And you're thinking, wow, how did, how did I ever even get that out of that? <laughs> you know, it, it's not saying the same thing to me right now. I had that many times. I, I would uh, want to revisit the passage and go over it. And I was looking for that same kind of assurance. But, you know, that feeling didn't come. That, that feeling of assurance, but the word was still there. It was still just exactly what it had said before. I just wasn't feeling it like I did. And that's where you have to really take the shield of faith. That's where you have to say, okay, regardless of how I feel or don't feel at the moment, I still believe God. I still believe that God spoke this word to me and I'm going to stand on it. That's what it is to have faith, is to keep trusting in the word of God. It's to keep trusting in the promises of God. And we're going to do that our entire lives. Because you know what? As a Christian, God calls you to live by faith. It's part of what we do. We live by faith. Now, quite frankly, I would prefer not to live by faith. I'd like to have it all crystal clear in front of me. I'd like to have it all spelled out. I'd like to know with assurance and certainty that, yeah, this is what we're doing. And this is where we're going. And this is how we're getting there. And this is the provision that's going to be made for it. But it never works that way. It just never works that way. God doesn't let it work that way. He wants us to trust him. He calls us to trust him. Now, in the context of warfare, like we're talking about, the devil knows that. 
So guess what? He's going to try to get to prevent you from going on in faith. He's going to try to uh, persuade you not to trust God about these things. Maybe, maybe promises from the past or, um, you know, things yet that he's pointing you toward in the future. He's going to come along and tell you about all the reasons why that can't happen and how impossible that is and how ridiculous that you would think that something like that uh, could ever be a reality. And by faith, you have to just keep moving ahead. So the shield of faith, a huge factor in our victory over the enemy. And then we come to the fifth uh, piece of the armor, the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. Now, as I've stated before, the primary battle is in the mind. Now, of course, there are other ways that Satan attacks us as well. Um, but, the, but the mind is, is the main target. So the helmet it clearly uh, protects our head, but more than our head, it protects our, our minds because that's where the enemy is constantly shooting at us. He's wanting us to doubt our salvation. He's wanting us to doubt um, God's faithfulness and those kinds of things. So it's our minds that need to be guarded and protected. And this is again where God's word is the, it's the helmet uh, for us of salvation. It's the knowledge of salvation. It's the mental assurance of our salvation. You know, it's amazing to me that uh, the enemy just uses the same tricks over and over again. He tries to get uh, us to fall for the same things. And even after many, many years of being a Christian and many seasons of having absolute confidence in your salvation, you can suddenly go into like a valley. You go into some kind of a funk where your, your mind is just plagued with a thought like, well, am I, am I even really saved? And you think, how can, I, how can I even think that? How can I even for one moment uh, fall for a suggestion like that? But we do. It happens. We start to doubt. We begin to wonder. We look at ourselves and we realize that we're so unworthy. We realize we're so sinful. And it's easy to draw the conclusion, well, I, I don't know really if I'm saved. But... The way to have the mental assurance of our salvation is again to have our minds uh, saturated in the truth of God. Remembering that we're saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. Remembering it's not by works of righteousness that we have done, but it's by his mercy that he saved us. And these are the things that we have to continually do because it's a continual battle. I know Christians who are just as solid as you could possibly be in the faith. And yet I see them at times wavering in areas as, as simple as this, where the enemy comes in and somehow suggests 
Maybe you're not really a child of God. Maybe you're not really going to make it to heaven in the end. And it's where this is where we need to make sure we've got that helmet of salvation. But there's another application to this as well. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.8, Paul refers to the helmet of the hope of salvation. So he words it a little differently. The helmet of the hope of salvation. And I think in this uh, application here, it's it, when we're discouraged and, and we feel like we can't go on, it's the hope of salvation or it's the, in our, in our minds, remembering that we are going to be victorious ultimately, that Christ is the victor, that he has already defeated the enemy, that God's kingdom is here and it's coming and it will be completely realized one day and and we're going to be part of it. So it's that hope of salvation that keeps us going that says, you know, no, I'm not going to give up. I've come this far. You know, I want to say something on a kind of a personal note here, but uh, I have seen in the last 10 years, I have seen a number of people that I have known for the 35 years that I've been a Christian. I've seen a number of them in the last 10 years. So we got, you know, say a 25 year relationship in the Lord. I've seen a number of people walk away from the Lord. Backslide, give up on their commitment to Christ, following Christ, serving Christ. Now, most of them would probably say, well, yeah, you know, I'm still a Christian, but uh, they're, they're no longer engaged. They're no longer really following the Lord like they did at one time. They're no longer um, committed or, or consistent or they're, they're no longer uh, being used by God in any way because they're not making themselves available. Uh, some have actually just said, hey, I'm, I'm over it. I'm done. I, I did it for 25 years and, and now I'm going to go. And, you know, they leave their wives and their families and they go. So I, I've seen this and I think, you know, to me, I think, wow, you've come this far. You've come all this way. You're so close to the end and you stop now. I mean, to me, it's like that. It just doesn't that doesn't make sense. Why? Why would you turn back now? You've come farther than you've got to go. I like to remind people that are about my age. Hey, we've got less life in front of us than we got behind us. So keep that in mind when you're thinking about going out and screwing around, (laughs) you know, hey, it's going to be over before you know it. That finish line isn't that far. And it's that hope that the the helmet of the hope of salvation that that there is the, the reward, there is the, the glory. You know, some people get, they grow tired in their faith. What's the use? Well, the Bible tells us not to be weary in doing good because you're going to reap. There's a reaping time that's going to come. There's a blessing time that's going to come. And of course, when we cross that finish line and enter into uh, eternity, that's the ultimate manifestation of that. But sometimes we've got to keep that at the very forefront of our mind. That is putting on the helmet of the hope 
of salvation. Don't give up. Don't turn back. Don't slack off. Keep going. Keep pressing forward. And so these things here, as I initially said, notice that every one of them are are predominantly a, a defensive kind of a part of the armor. They're for our protection and to, to keep the enemy from pushing us back. They're, as we take and we apply God's word in these ways, uh, we maintain our ground. And that's what Paul said that we are to do. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand and that you may be able to continue to stand. So it's as we have the these different uh, pieces of the armor that he mentions here, as we have these on, they, they will enable us to withstand the onslaught of the enemy. And when the enemy's thrust is over, we'll still be standing. But I can't do that. You can't do that apart from the influence of God's word in your life. We cannot underestimate the importance of God's word in people's life. And you know what? I'll tell you how important the word of God is. It's so important that the devil does everything in his power to try to keep it from going out. He does everything in his power to try to keep it from uh, being faithfully taught. So I was in El Salvador this weekend. You know, the population of El Salvador, 40% of the population, and these are statistics that are not coming from the church, but these are just general statistics. 40% of the population is uh, evangelical Christian. 40%. That's a lot of people. But yet there's massive societal problems. There's massive problems in the culture. There's, of course, poverty and there's uh, crime and there's drug addiction, and there's gang warfare, and and all of these kinds of things. So I'm talking to the local pastors, and we're talking about this phenomenon. You know, how do you have a population, you know, when they do their surveys, they check off your religion, 40% of the people check off evangelical Christian. How do you have that as a statistic, but you don't really see it translated into the society? The church that we spent the weekend at, you pull up to the church and you have armed guards in front of the church. You have a massive iron door that the guards are standing in front of and you've got to be given permission to go in. Every store that you go to has an armed guard. You go to Starbucks, they got a guy with a shotgun out in front of it. And all the windows are barred and uh, you know, it's, it's a crazy situation. But as I was talking to the pastors, I said, you know, here's the thing. You got 40% of the population claims to be evangelical, but we all know that the big problem among the churches is the problem that nobody really teaches the Bible. You have all of these large numbers of Christians, but they've never grown beyond simple faith in Jesus. They've accepted Jesus. They want Jesus to be their savior. They need a savior. They understand that. And I'm not even suggesting they're not Christians. I think they are. But what I'm saying is that they're not strong. They've never been established in their faith. The the word of God has not had the opportunity to work in them in, in such a transformative way that it will work itself out into the culture 
And the reason for that is because it's not taught. This is the great problem in the world today. This is why we plant churches. This is why we're going to keep planting churches until the day the Lord returns. Because people need to be taught God's word. And that's primarily what happens at a church. That's what's supposed to happen. But the sad thing is that there, the majority of churches do not teach the Bible. Even true believers, they, they just don't teach it. So all of that to say... The important thing in all of this, as we're talking about putting on the armor of God, is to realize how vital a place God's word plays in all of this. Get yourself saturated in God's word. That's how you have victory over sin. That's how you have victory over Satan. That's how you not just experience personal victory, but that's how you move forward and become uh, somebody who has an impact on the lives of others. Um, one final quick story about uh, El Salvador. So I, the last time I was in El Salvador was seven years ago. And the pastor of the church that we minister in down there, uh, his name is Carlos Bautista. And he has a son, Carlos Jr. And last time I saw Carlos Jr., he was seven, uh, 13 years old. So I saw him this weekend. He's 20 years old now. So seven years have passed. And he's this, you know, this handsome, uh, amazing kid. And he's just absolutely on fire for Jesus. And, and here he is, this, this young, he was, a, he was on the, um, the national volleyball team. He had a scholarship to UCLA, all of this kind of stuff going on. But his life was nowhere. He's raised in a Christian home. And it's like, yeah, you know, my dad's a Christian. My dad's a pastor. And, you know, I guess I'm a Christian. But it just didn't mean to him what his parents would have hoped that it meant. But something happened in his life. And about a year ago, he made some decisions to go in a direction he didn't even want to go in. But there was a discipleship opportunity that came along. And even against his own better judgment in the sense he just didn't want to do it. He just felt almost like pushed into it by the Lord, like he needed to do it. Well, he went in, he spent four months in a discipleship program, got the word of God really saturated into his life and it completely changed him. And he drove Cheryl and I to the airport yesterday and we were talking to this kid and just hearing the story of how God's word impacted him, hearing the story of how he, he never really took it into his own heart. So he was a Christian like so many others, just, you know, he believed in Jesus, but there was no transformation. There was no power. There was no vision in his own life. And now to see him just fully passionate. And we were talking about just kind of the, the social situation down there. And I, I was asking him about the gangs and he was telling me the gangs are made up. Uh, the, the, the ones that you see are made up of 14 to 16 year olds. And they're the ones that stand on every corner with a cell phone. And when you come into a little community, they notify the, the powers that be that, hey, there's somebody here. We don't know who they are. Keep your eye on them, whatever, you know, whatever they do. And they pay these kids through giving them drugs. They give them a little bit of money and, and, and all of that kind of thing. So we're talking about that. He's explaining all of that to me. And then he tells me the story of how God's just given him a heart to reach out to these gang people. And... 
He said before, he not only did he not care to do that, but he wouldn't, wouldn't want to put his life on the line to do anything like that. It's a dangerous thing. And then he told the story of how he went and uh, somebody pushed him into kind of a gospel thing with uh, four gang members. And so he started sharing with them. And then there were four other gang members that he started to go share with. And the gang leader came out and flashed his gun. And he thought, uh-oh, that guy's got a gun. What am I doing? And the Lord just gave him boldness and he pressed through it and he's sharing the Lord with these guys. So he said, now, he said, whenever I see, you know, little, little groups of gangsters, the Lord just puts on my heart to go share the gospel with them. And they're seeing uh, these kids come out of that destructive lifestyle. They're seeing them come to faith. But my whole point is this, in case I lost you somewhere in the story. <laughs> the word of God has impacted this 20-year-old kid powerfully. And it's translated into action for the kingdom. So put on the whole armor of God, translates into soak yourself in God's word. Not just get it in your brain. Of course, it's gotta go through your brain. We're not talking about just memorizing 25 Bible verses just so for the sake of knowing them, but get it into your heart, get it into your life, get it into your bloodstream, get God's word into you so thoroughly that you, you see the world through God's word. And that's how we will beat the devil. And that's what we want to do. So God help us. Lord, we thank you for your word we thank you for the rich heritage that we have here of uh, a ministry based in the word. And Lord, we know that it's not enough to just have a, a pulpit ministry of the word. We know that's vital, but Lord, for our own lives personally, we need to saturate ourselves as well. So help us to do that. As we look at this armor of God, Lord, help us to put on the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Help us, Lord, to know how to handle the shield of faith, to quench the fiery darts of the wicked and to put on that helmet of salvation. Lord, pour your spirit upon us and Lord, use us in these days, but we know that in order to be used, we've got to be uh, strengthen ourselves. We've got to put on that armor. So help us to apply these things for your glory in Jesus name. Amen.